If you like to gamble, I tell you I'm your man. You win some, lose some, it's all the same to me. Hello and welcome to another episode of the official Motorhead podcast, The Motorcast. I am your host, Howard H. Smith. Uh, you may know me as lead singer of UK thrash band Acid Rain, um, or from my heavy metal podcast, Talking Bollocks. You will see that my name is highlighted in the description of this podcast. Click on that, and that'll take you to over a hundred podcasts that I've done over the last seven years. But here, I am your guide through the world to all things Motorhead. Welcome for the first time, welcome back if you're a returning subscriber, and straight away, if you have not subscribed to the podcast, make sure you do. Whatever device you're listening to this on, there will be a subscribe button, please press it, and a new episode of the Motorcast will come to you every single time we put one out. And there is many, many to choose from, and this is no different. This week, I have a great guest, Nick Mead. That's right, producer of Iron Fist. Um, a real, I mean, the album is, is ensconced in the history of Motorhead. Obviously, following up um, Ace of Spades wasn't easy. Um, a lot of people at the time weren't keen with the direction the band went on. But I think over the years, this album has gained a lot of love and a lot of people loved it at the time. So, what a perfect person to talk to about the album. Here is my conversation with producer Nick Mead. So, Nick, thank you very much for agreeing to come on the Motorcast. It's a pleasure. And I, I always start with the first question, which is, how did you first discover Motorhead? Um, I, I was a big fan of Pink Fairies. This is really easy. I was a big fan of Pink Fairies and Hawkwind and... Uh, I used to go to the Roundhouse on a Sunday afternoon and it's the, 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 the sequence of events would start at three and go on to 11. And I used to see Lemmy always at the bar and he used to lean in and, and uh, I was really young at the time. He used to always lean in and call the barmaid nurse and be shaking his drink and go, nurse, nurse, I need, like, I need. And that was great. And I always, I, I loved him. I, I thought he was great. Um, purely from a fan perspective. And then that was before Silver Machine. So Silver Machine came out, I think. And um, he was such a non-leading man. He was such a non-lead singer. Uh, and it was such a breath of fresh air. Um, but when that, so, so I was around when, when that happened as a fan. I went, I saw them um, supporting... Oh, Blois the Cult, I think. Was it Blois the Cult? Uh, Hammersmith. And where they're booed off stage, but basically, or slow hand claps. But I thought that was the greatest thing because they were so raw. And I, I guess, in hindsight, you look at how they were and, and the birth of punk and what punk was doing at the same time, or a little bit afterwards. It was um, just made it accessible. It just because up until then, you'd had these three album um, self indulgent kind of like big, I don't know, self-indulgent things and... and uh, prog rock, and prog rock operas and things like that. Sorry? Prog rock operas and things like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. And God, thank God for that. Thank God we just threw them to one side. And uh, then suddenly you had the first album, which was was amazing. And the story about how they did that, you know, they had one night left to go in and do an album, to do a single, we call it an album, 
and the rest is history, so to speak. So it's a, it's such a lovely rock and roll story. Yeah, yeah. And uh, out of all the people I've ever met, and I've met quite a few now um, over the years, Lemmy was the guy that never changed. Lemmy was the same in the rainbow four years ago that as he was at the Roundhouse, 1977, something like that. I don't know. Well, but he's the same guy, same approachable guy. And it, I, I was interested by what you were saying there, um, which I, I, and it's never crossed my mind before, but you're absolutely right. Um, he's such a non-leading man. Yeah, and he never compromised. He never, ever compromised. And, uh, you know, it was just, it was always him. The, the guy never changed. And uh, I think other people that are famous than me, more famous than me, <laughs> which I'm not at all, but I've said the same thing, that the guy just, there was one through line throughout, and you can meet him. And I met him, you know, we, we kind of, we never really lost contact over the years, but we did, um, our, our meetings were few and far between. But catching up and meeting and having drinks and stuff like that, it was just, like nothing had nothing had changed. We could be in a bar in the Port Bella Road, you know, and um, yeah, or, or the Rainbow in uh, normally the Rainbow. But in so LA. you, um, so you, you, you know, very well, a very, a quite a long time ago, um, you got the gig to make a Motorhead movie with the band. Yes, I'm my um, first ever film. Right, and well, I mean, you know, how does that, how did that happen, and what was that like? Isn't it? I was the looking first ever a... experience, first film. Yeah, was, the directing was... experience. It was. Um, yeah. I was working. It was really difficult to get in the film business then. It was way back when, and um, <clears throat> I was working for a guy that used to make short films before the big feature films. Do you remember that? Those days, you know, you yes. go. Oh God! You yeah. see it. And yeah. It was based based on a, a fund called the Edie Levy, which um, meant that a percentage of box office films would go back to British films and we'd make these short films basically and I thought well, wouldn't it be great if, if Motorhead did some music or Hawkwind did some music first and uh, I was really young I was like oh, 21 or something and um, I, I persuaded my boss at the time can I call up this these people and because I was a big fan and he said hey if it's free we'll do it you know, that's fantastic so I called Wayne Bardell up. I didn't, didn't know who I was calling. I just said, look, we're making the film. It's a short film, and we'd like Hawkins' music in it, or Motorhead's music. And he, and he said, come on, have a chat. And Wayne, Wayne was the greatest, most connected guy you're ever going to meet, and he was partners with Doug Smith. So I went down to the office. I loved everything about what I was seeing. It was a non-office, really. It was like a, a, a house on the Great Western Road. Lovely, lovely people inside. Um, and they were so warm and welcoming and gave me anything I wanted, really. Because I guess these are the times when music and films were still kind of like, you know, it wasn't that easy. And because I didn't know, I think naivety is a great tool. So naivety said, well, what's, what's wrong with asking, at least? And um, yeah. so I asked and I was given. And then they said, look, we want to make a, we're thinking about making a film company. And I was really young. It's like, oh, that's great. So do I. You know, I want to get into this. And um, I loved Mick Farron and I loved everything they were doing. And I was asked to come and work out of the office, um, given a very little salary. But the first thing they did was send me to New York to work with Mick um, Farron on a, on a book called The Song of Fade the Gambler. And I, I had no idea what I was doing, literally. Because I was around the office, they decided... I think I joined the office when 
no sleep for Hammersmith either came in the charts at number one or reached number one. Um, it, so, it, debuted, it debuted at number one. Oh, there you go. So it was like, wow, this is a good week. I think I might start on the Monday. On the Friday, it charted <laughs> or something. And then, then they sent, somebody sent around an enormous bottle of a magnum of Dom Perignon. And I've never seen such a bit. I've never seen a bottle of champagne before, but I've never seen one that big. And um, but they were great and uh, very supportive. And then we carried on to try and develop this film. And I, I was my eyes were on the bigger prize. And then they said, "Will I do a, a stage film for Iron Fist?" And um, I said, yeah, sure. And um, so I did. I didn't know what really, I really didn't know what I was doing. I knew yeah. a lot more at the end of the day than I did at the beginning of that. Yeah. But that, but that's the key to this industry, isn't it? It's like it's that's the key. The answer's always yes. You get yeah. the gig, get the yeah. gig, then figure out what the hell you're going to do. <clears throat> well, it's funny. I was thinking before you called. You know, I was thinking, oh God, it's amazing. That day was nothing went wrong, and yeah. it's really bizarre because now <laughs> you anticipate, and now. You know, you think, oh, we need three days for that. We need four. It's all shot in a day. We, I think the first shot was the Rivers of Blood. So we had everyone dressed as knights lying around this, this stream. And then we poured the blood in. Set, set, well, set the camera up, poured the blood in, and the, the water carried the blood down the stream. And just looking, going, yep, yeah, got that. <laughs> and we said, we said, right, well, let's put the... We only had aircraft landing lights. We had no lights because it was a low, very low budget. So but we had these aircraft landing lights. So right. the crew, which are legendary, put them behind you know, there's a hill. So I said, let's put them, let's, great idea. Let's put them behind the hill. Great idea. We, then <laughs> beams went up and then we threw some smoke bombs in. Yeah. And there's no wind and everything was perfect. So you had the beams of light and you have all the smoke going yeah. everywhere. And you think, oh my God, well, that's, that's kind of easy. Well, maybe the man can go behind and walk over over the hill, which they did. Um, and everything was fine. And when I think about it, there was no bad weather, there was no hiccups, there was no power outages, there was no all the things that you anticipate now. They were not, it was just a it's like the almost like the perfect day. Now I think wow. I think Eddie had issues, <laughs> issues with his costume, which I found out later. That he didn't like wearing a dress, which I never knew. But they were it, it was new for everybody. And these were very legitimate costumes we got from Bermans and Nathans, which I think are now called Angels. And they were all from Merlin, which um the feature film. So yeah. they had in you know in the back where the actors were and all that. <clears throat> but they all feed, right? And uh Phil was really funny. It was just and then that, and that was the band that was, and I said this before, they were. Uh, driven by a collective sense of humour. So the day, the day was like, what's going on? And I, I, we didn't think about catering, but that didn't matter because all the band wanted were, were like shots of vodka. So right. and they were lying around the, oh, the the band and the crew and were lying around this river and just going around with bottles of vodka and making sure everyone was all right. So <laughs> it's all kind of legendary, really. When you I mean, now it's... I guess with bands, which I've seen recently, is very professional backstage crew. Not not that Murderhead weren't professional because they always, always, always delivered. But it's much more of a sober, cold-hearted, cold yeah. backstage arena where, where Murderhead was was far from it. Yeah, I think I, I think there's a lot more. Um, I think there's a lot more musicians go to work these days than um, than than go to create something do you know what i mean it's like 
Yeah, they've yeah. turned they've turned up and enjoyed themselves and thrown themselves into it. Whether whereas, like I said, I, I I think there is a lot of going to work involved in bands. These days. I think so. And also, what I did then, you, you can't get near these people now. I mean, if you want if you want music for a film, then you go to a publishing house and the publishers are really basically accountants and yeah. they're going to see how much money you've got first and how legitimate it is, who's distributing that. And this, back then it was, oh, that'd be great. That'd be fun. It would, let's just do a, do a film, see what happens. Now it'd be a much, <laughs> much more, it would be impossible almost. Like before that, I, I used to do fashion photography and I used to love being an assistant before I became a photographer. And uh, you just find out the photographer and say, you've got a job, got any jobs, mate? Uh, you couldn't get close to that now. And it's, yeah. it's a real shame because it, it makes you have to have the qualifications and sometimes the qualifications are more of a, a hindrance than actually going out and doing the experience, in, in my humble opinion. Yeah, yeah. And so was that was that the the end of your you know your work with Motorhead or no, no, we went off we did a load of videos, we did um Orgasmatron, we did oh, brilliant. um not again, I'll get three. I think it's oh, another perfect day. We did three videos for them, um, right. and that was always fun. And then I did, um, oh god, what was it? Uh, Eat the Rich, and that was really fun because Wurzel was in the band and Phil, and that was yeah. that was a really fun lineup. Wurzel was just the most beautiful man, and um, that was quite amusing. And Phil. We had this flying rig. Again, nothing went wrong, but, you know, because Phil Phil Taylor wanted to fly. And uh, the idea was that he'd hit the drums and the, the power would push him out of the seat and he'd spin around. And he was just so into it. And the, and the drum set's going everywhere. <clears throat> and then Phil Campbell said, uh, well, when am I going to fly? And I said, well, Phil, you, you can't really fly because, um, you know, that takes away the impact of the moment when Phil Taylor flies. If everyone's flying... It just becomes a bit of a fast read. He says, well, no, I, I want to fly. Uh-huh. Uh, so so my, my recollection is that the band actually split up that day. Oh, and right. You've got, you got to understand that um, yeah. everyone, everyone, including the director, was probably a bit off their heads at this point. <laughs> and they're trying to keep the balance of, of what had been um, as a, imbibed. Um, so, so it's quite funny. So... I said, oh, shit. So Douglas was there. I said, Douglas, it seems like the band has split up. I said, we don't, want to, we, don't want to, we don't want to be in the band anymore. So, so Douglas, I think, explained that we hadn't got the wide shot yet. So they reformed that day because <laughs> I, I had to get the wide shot. And Phil was lovely. Everybody was lovely. There was no question at all. Um, and there's some lovely, there's some real fun outtakes there. Oh, uh, really? Uh, there's some really makes fun of that book. Um, Look quite funny because we had smoke machines, and I remember the smoke filling up the studio because we hadn't gauged it right. And we just stood there, not being able to see the thing. And then you hear Lenny going, Hello, hello. <laughs> and so, so it was kind of a, you know, it's, I'm, I'm always laughing when anyone, anyone ever asks me about Motorhead. It just brings a smile to my face, man. It's like you can't make this up and you can't recreate it because it yeah. was so unique and and lovely really yeah and and funnily enough that word unique is um is i think it's quite apt because the you know the band is no more and yet here we are 
doing a podcast and you know about it people because people people just <clears throat> want to know more and more well i was uh, i'm in la now and um going along my merry way and i used to take meetings and or few and few and fewer meetings really because you look for the value in them and i was at one meeting and um with a guy who can't have been born at the time that we were, we were talking about and Anyway, we're making a small talk before the meeting started, and, he's, and um, the word motorhead came out. I said, oh, yeah, I used to work with him. I did some videos from him. And he said, did you do um, Either Rich? I said, yes, I did. And he said, and he was like uh, like, uh, like a fan. Yeah. Like, oh, my God. And then we start talking about the shots, and I'm going, oh, my God, I'm in Maria Del Rey in California with a kid that has not been born, wouldn't, wouldn't have been born when we did that. And he's talking to me like I'm some kind of hero in his head. And I held the meeting enormously. But yeah, yeah. He never ever talked about it. And then they think, actually, we're, and the funny thing, and I think everybody, now you look back and you think, well, we were really cool. You know, it was a cool office. It was everything was cool about it. But no one liked us. So we weren't fashionable. So there's yeah. cool and fashionable. But we, I don't remember getting invited anywhere. Um, <laughs> but the, the party was always, either in the office at 15 Great Western Road or down the pub on the corner on the bridge overlooking the canal. And um, it was it was kind of... When I look back on it now, I think, well, maybe we were cooler than we thought. Maybe we were... Maybe we were but I don't think we are fashionable. Fashionable, can't, I can't imagine, but... Because think- unique is the word. I mean, that, no one was dressing up as cowboy. I mean, this is nothing to do with me, but, but when they dressed up as cowboys... And did the did the Ace of Spades cover? It's like, yeah, where did that come from? You got it in the background. But, yeah, know. yeah, it's like it's, but it is. It's 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 insane. I mean, you hear you know you hear stories of people now, you know, seeing the Ace of Spades album and thinking like these guys were like Mexicans or or you know, Scott Ian from Anthrax tells the story of thinking like that they were Mexican and who are these three? <laughs> who are these three badass banditos? And he finds out like you know. He finds out weeks later they're from they're from England. Uh, I mean, everything's cool about this. I mean, and this is a lot of it. Uh, you you can look at Doug Smith and say, you know, talk about the art direction. Talk about the word motorhead, the word the, the amulet above the um, I think is that, is that the word above the O and all that, and just the whole the structure of it and how it, how it looked and uh, the the logo was was just incredible. That this just the styling of it was so far before its time you know yeah and the thing is it, it's it's something that, that that they got right first time and it never changed you're right absolutely in fact, in fact it was difficult to and i don't think it ever was improved upon yeah you know it was it was just that as it was it was when I mean, the first album cover was great you know just the mad sign and well the um, thing well the thing is as well is the logo is is, is all we have left really that's the you know that's the, it's the brand of the band that that, that are no more um, that, but the, it lives on t-shirt is legendary it's, you know you go yeah. i mean now at los angeles now i mean los angeles where you see motor t-shirts everywhere i mean los angeles where there's a statue of lemmy on sunset which is remarkable when i think about you yeah. know it's just that's remarkable that must be uh, that must have been weird the first time you saw that statue the whole thing is weird, you know. The whole thing that because um, I knew I knew how fa- unfashionable we. Well, I say we, you know, the office. 
yeah. how, how people didn't like anybody really. You know, we were the last one. Maybe, maybe we're going by places, but we're always the last one on this. And uh, now it's like saying, yeah, I was part of it. I was part of a very small me, personally, a very, very small part of it. There are other people that are a lot, a lot bigger. And nothing as unique as a band. And uh, it's quite... I should look back on this with immense pride because, um, you know, this was a good few years of my life, one way or another, and lasting friendships. We're still... I mean, everyone split up and went all around the world. And then, but we have now friends in Paris and friends in Sydney, Australia and all that, that were in the office at the time of this unique moment, you know. And, and this, you know, some good bands came out. Was, I always say you walked in the in the hallowed halls of Fifth and Grove Restaurant and you, you came out a legend one way. You know, that's, um, that's me <laughs> being very romantic about it. <laughs> but, um, uh, you, me- you mentioned also that you... Um, uh, you saw Lemmy as uh, as recently as uh, you know a few years ago before he died in LA. Yeah, and we 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 had a well drinking marathon on the outside bar at the Rainbow where he's playing his poker machine and lots of stuff. But and the, it was always nice to see him, and it was, he said it was always nice to see me. And uh, we talked about the amazing accomplishment of being alive. <laughs> that, that we. That no one, I think he was given two years to live 20 years before, you know. It's, yeah. Um, and I can't pretend that we weren't all indulging and we weren't all um, going down the road of, uh, there's no way back, there's no way back. And some people sadly never came back. But um, the there was a great sense of accomplishment. That we were toasting, like, wow, man, this is great. We're alive and we're talking and we're in Los Angeles and the weather's good <laughs> and we're sitting outside. Now, and this is great because yeah, you know, so many times I've been down at the end of the road bar with Lemmy and, and uh, so I, so the end of the road bar was, I can't remember the name of the pub, but it was, um, I remember sitting there with uh, Eddie Clark and there was a great spinal moment, spinal tap moment where, they're trying to get the round ham in the round bun or the, yeah. the square ham and the round bun. And that yeah. was exactly it. I'm just laughing now thinking about it because it was really funny because it was like looking at it again, trying, trying to figure it out. And then folding the corners of the, the slices <laughs> of ham into the, yeah. into the round bun. That was good days, man. Good so days. Um, uh, how long ago would that have been when you saw, um, when you saw him for the last time? I can't remember. Yeah. Probably now, about 10 years ago. Right. Probably. Yeah. Probably. How long has he been dead, right? I don't know. It's a, it, it's, a, it's a few years now. I think it was just, um, I think it was what, five, six years at Christmas, I think. Yeah, it would have been three years before that, probably. I think. Yeah. Very sad. Yeah. Well, sad, but um, you could still... You know, he did that great milk commercial. Did you see, ever see that? Oh, one? yeah, yeah. Uh, that was yeah. I mean, that is that's legendary. Well, again, I've I've mentioned this before on the podcast. I, what kind are you know? What kind of person crosses over from a band <laughs> like Motorhead into, into mainstream culture? Who then the milk marketing board go? I know who we can get that will get people drinking milk. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant minds. I mean, someone. Yeah. I'm sure they would have. Uh, whatever they call the algorithms or whatever they call, ah, we need Lemmy for this. Yeah. It was very, very, very funny. 
And he it was, was created his own style. You know, there was always... Ah, I don't know. Sad, really. Sad that he's gone, you know. Yes, yes. But also, um, I'm a great admirer of the fact that, you know, he went out on his own terms. He was performing up until a couple of weeks before he died. It was, you know, really, it's it was an incredible ride that he went on. Yeah. And, um, no, exactly. And the same with McFarren. McFarren dying on stage at the borderline. To, I mean, they're all, I think, these, these were the uh, amazing performers when I think about it. Well, also when you think when you think of that, you know that classic lineup that Lemmy would Lemmy was the last to leave us. Well, that's that's impressive in itself. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, that's incredible. I mean, that, nobody expected it. I don't think Lemmy expected it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I don't know. Well, look, Nick, I'm, I really appreciate you um, having a chat about these wonderful old days. I really do. Um, it's been a joy. It's been an absolute joy. Thank you so much for coming. But anytime. It's been great. It's lovely to reminisce and it's lovely to think back. And it's yeah. now with great pride, I look back. I was a small, small part of this wonderful organisation and wonderful, um, uh, what is that? Cultural event? Yeah. Cultural event that expanded. We took over the world eventually. Well, it was a it, it was a it was a piece of time that musically can never be recreated and gave the world so much because, you know, what what punk and Motorhead did after that is you know is is where my career came from. Yeah, because uh, because I sing in a thrash metal band. Well, without all of that happening that you were involved with, none of the stuff that I was involved with would have happened. You know, let me tell you, without Fifteen Great Western Road, without the Pink Furries. Motorhead, Mick Farron, and Hawkwind. There will be no punk, and I think that was, that was that was really quite incredible. And that is quite a statement to finish on. I think you'll agree. Um, some really, really interesting stuff with Nick there, and clearly, as I'm finding, the more people I speak to that worked with Motorhead, be it. You know, whether whether it's whether it's merch, whether it's clothes, whether it's producing, um, it's clear that that people who worked with Motorhead, it didn't stop them idolizing, you know, Lemmy and and the band. They seem to just have this incredible effect on people. Um, uh, you know, as as well as us, as well as fans, as well as people who just like music, they have the same effect on people within a very cynical industry that they work with, and that that's incredible. That is that's Motorhead for you, ladies and gentlemen. But hey, you already knew that. That's why you're listening, and I cannot thank you enough for listening. Please do keep listening, keep spreading the word. Um, the motorcast is going from strength to strength and that is all down to you guys listening thank you very very much there is going to be another episode coming to you as usual but for now look after each other and i'll speak to you next time on the official motorhead podcast the motorcast i don't show you greed the only god i need is the ace of spades the ace of spades